Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video end of year special podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin. I'm a special effects artist and a consumer of film media. Uh, and I also do this podcast, and I'm joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst, and I directed the greatest film of the year 2018, but... Spoiler alert, you just fucking <laughs> rendered this entire list, list show pointless. But we've got a rule, uh, we've got a rule this year that neither of us are allowed to mention films that we worked on. We can mention them, we just can't put them yes, in the list. exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, there are going to be some other rules this year, as with last year. I don't feel, do I, we, we didn't speak the rules last year, I just felt that they... They were unspoken and then was sad when we weren't on the same page. It, well, I thought that this was you like, I, I thought that this was, yourself? I thought that our own video <laughs> podcast, I did, I said Sam Ashes and I directed the which is still true. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but, but last year I was operating under the sort of misunderstanding that uh, this was a fun call podcast and we made up our own rules and no, we did Sam. what we want because no, we're no, renegades. No fun. no fun in this but post-Brexit no world. So because Dan is uh, is insistent on us following the rules, I'm going to lay some out, um, including... Uh, I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to go on along with every rule you say, just so you know. <laughs> like, I'm not. There's at no point have I said, yes, you are allowed to make up rules and I would abide by them. This, this was the problem. This, we're getting to the heart of the actual problem, which is Dan is a control freak. Oh, no, I'm, a, I'm a renegade. I'm a wild card. <laughs> mm, interesting. Right, okay. So uh, basically, rules, like last year, only important rules that everyone should follow is that these films must have been released in the UK in the year 2018. It only makes sense if that's the case. So in the cinema, in the in the not, cinema, not, not a general release. Just can be, can be festival screenings. Uh, no, it has to have had. See, this is why because you didn't do that last year, and I, I you did. didn't mention this to me before this year, and so some of mine have only played festivals. Oh, well, that's fine, mm. that's fine. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I did that last year. But anyway, anyway, right, fine, okay. The other rule films is... films that played in English festivals in 2017 but didn't get a cinematic release in the UK until 2018. Yes, What that's about the films point. from 1967 that I saw for the first time this year? Well, obviously that doesn't count. Well, how does that not count? Because <laughs> literally no one does that. You realise that, don't you, Dan? Literally no one on the planet Earth does that. No one does what? So they have their list of... his list of the films I saw for the first time in 2018, yeah. in which you can put whatever the hell you Anything want. Anything you want. Yeah. Unless you didn't see it for the first time in 2018. That's a basic rule there. That's a very, Don't very, go missing that rule, Sam. Very basic rule. You know how much I love rules. So, uh, uh, however, what we're doing is the best films of 2018. So oh, okay. they need to be of 2018. So okay. in the UK. So, for example, there's a English couple films of, only. There's a couple of... So, exactly. There's a couple <laughs> of, in mine where uh, I saw them in 2017. In fact, they were released in the States in 2017. Oh. But I'm going by stuff that was released in the UK oh. in the year 2018. Which, I hate to break it to you, Dan, is how 99.9% .9 of professional list oh, makers... Okay. Do it. Okay. So, good. Like I said, Well, renegades. Dan doesn't care. Renegade. <laughs> it's his turn this year, apparently. Just shout wildcard occasionally. Apparently. Um, and the other rule, which is, you know, based on the amount of, both the amount of complaints that Dan made on air last year, and as a result, the <laughs> amount of complaints I got from uh, some nice people. My fellow pedants. So this year, I'm doing <laughs> a boring, straight top ten. Are we doing um, them in order? Yeah, ten to one. Ten to one. Yeah, worst to best. Yeah, and, worst um, of the best. And and you have a, a coin like last year, so did we, do, did we, we did the coin last year. Last so year. do a little flip, and I've then got we'll see. We'll see who goes it's first. A very small coin, and obviously I'm holding a microphone, so hopefully I won't drop this. Heads. It didn't really turn. Do you care? No, I, I called it in the air anyway, okay. so that's fine. 
It's tails. What does that mean? I, I don't know. We didn't set that rule out. <laughs> <laughs> Last year it meant that you went first. Okay, well then in that case it means I went first. I go first. You get to choose, so. Cool, okay, all right. I'll go first, yeah. Let's um, hear your first pick as uh, I sip on this delicious mulled wine because it is Christmas. Oh it's yeah, Christmas we've, got, we've got mulled wine. Happy Christmas, bloody yeah, hell. Happy excitement Christmas. I can't believe I sort of uh, was quite stern about rules like some sort of Scrooge and I haven't even said happy Christmas yet. Yeah. Happy Christmas, and dear sweet, my precious festive listener. Son, Bird, big dead bird. Correct. Cool. Right, what have we got? Uh, in at number 10 is Burning, the Korean adaptation of the Murakami short story. It's There'll be a bit of a theme. It's the first of this theme in my uh, my year. Looking back at the list, I, I realised that I've obviously had quite a taste for the slower film this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of my recommendations are going to be quite lyrical, quite ponderous. It's not a short film. Uh, and you would be forgiven for arguing that maybe not a huge amount happens in it, but a lot of things are felt in it. Um, it's very much about the emotional experience of the characters. It's quite a quite a slim uh, short story that it's based on, uh, and yet it's it's a long feature. Um, essentially, a young man uh, meets up with a girl he was at school with who he is reminded by her when he doesn't recognise her that he teased her for being unattractive when they were at school together. She is now beautiful, uh, having saved up and paid for an enormous amount of plastic surgery for herself. They hang out a little bit after she asks him if he'd be willing to feed her cat while she's away. Uh, she's uh, she's taking holiday to Africa. He agrees. Uh, they sleep together once before she goes. He then tends to this cat, although he never actually sees it. He feeds it, the feed, the food just puts food out for it, the food disappears, shit turns up. Uh, he gets rid of it, but he never sees the cat. He meets her at the airport when she comes back, and she returns with a uh, another Korean man who she met on her holidays, a, a sort of rich, handsome Korean man. And the three of them end up sort of hanging out together with this slightly, he's a slightly peculiar spare wheel. And I don't really want to say much more about it than that. Mm, no, it, is, it is slow and beautiful, and it's... It's it's one of those films that kind of sticks with you after you watch it. Again, a, a, a theme of my list this year. Um, something that will will sort of play at the back of your mind after you've seen it. And it's so, really beautiful, really beautiful. And and so, how did you see that? Was that a festival one, or because I don't think that was out this year, was it, or was it? I did that not play at London Film. I didn't. I saw a screener of it, but right. I thought. Um, uh, it, I it thought it was, a, um, it was LFF I didn't get to see very much at LFF and so when we were prepping for this as, I'm, as I think we both did last year um, I spent the last month trying to fill the gaps in the good films like the, 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 the higher brow so, um, so it was an LFF one, I think it think? was LFF I'm, yeah, going yeah. To, I'm going to check that take my so, uh, so it's a, a festival one um, so there's a chance that uh, when it's actually released in the UK you're going to have it, to let this go Sam it, otherwise 80% of our podcast is going to be this conversation again and again well buckle up dear sweet precious festive listener um, because what is Christmas for if not for arguments and um, <laughs> yeah no I, that may well go into my top 10 next year in the correct year so uh, did you just out of interest did you feel I, I felt when compiling this list and I don't think it actually ended up affecting the list at all but I felt a little bit like I didn't want to include things that we'd already recommended just because we'd seen them and they were good and I, know, I remember feeling that way last year as well. Like, I felt like they should be unique recommends. Well, that was my attitude last year, which is why I did so many, because I have my kind of definitive list that, you know, that is my solid goal top ten that, you know, I will live and die by. And in future generations, when people want to learn about what cinema was in the year 2018, <laughs> they can refer to my list. Um, however, last year, I one of the reasons I did the 
several different options and all the rest of it was so that people would have fresh stuff um, that I hadn't really talked about on the podcast before. However, this year I'm li- limited to 10. Um, so but hang on, how does there's at to least make it harder not to mention films we've mentioned before? That's what I'm saying. So there's at least one, two... I think most of mine I've already mentioned in some... No, but the, but so how does mentioning fewer make it harder not to mention film... Uh, harder to, to not mention films you've mentioned before? Oh, I see what you mean. So um, so if I was to mention a film that I hadn't mentioned before mm-hmm. for that purposes, I would be removing a film that I loved just because I talked about it before. Yeah. Whereas adding more means that, oh, well, you know, this wasn't quite good enough for my top 10 but i can still mention it so that people get extra recommendations but However, the, but i'm not the top doing that 10 list oh never mind forget it keep going no no go on no, i'm the, intrigued the, by the this. top 10 list would yeah. still have had the same likelihood to have had films in it that you mentioned before there's exactly. no additional you, there's no so there's That's there's the no avoidance there yeah you're merely saying that the other films that you haven't mentioned before don't get a look in because you're restricted to 10 yeah, so so the point is, I've got my set. Well, it's, it's you can't understand it. It's fine. Well, so, exactly. I can't understand it. I don't know if we need to subject the listener to it. No, they they they're with me. They they can. They, it's it's quite simple. So okay. you've got your top ten. Those are the films you love. No, I I, 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 I understand up. everything you're saying, and I get it. It's framing it as and therefore. But no, I mean, I, I, no, I do understand what you're saying. I don't necessarily agree with your reasons, but I understand so what you're saying. So it's the inverse, basically. Mm. So so just like. I wouldn't want to not mention a film I love because I've mentioned it before. Yeah. I am therefore likely to mention a film that I didn't love as much, but I just want to throw it out there so that people have something else that they haven't heard me waffle on about before a million times. Does that make sense? All right, we're moving on to my first recommendation and uh, or, or top 10 entry from 2018, which is The House That Jack Built, which is why I wanted to clarify that, because I have mentioned The House That Jack Built on the podcast before, and as such, I'm not going to go into too much detail on it, other than the fact that it is out in cinemas now. Um, it came out uh, early December, so I'm sure there's still places to see it on Christmas Eve, should you want to have a very jolly time. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it does feature the, the colour red quite a lot, and red's <laughs> that's, around that's at Christmas. That's festive, isn't it? Um, and yeah, as I've sort of mentioned before, it is... Um, actually, though, when I did mention it last time, I've just realised it's before I saw it. It was a Cannes recommendation. Yeah. Um, before Cannes, because I had to do those, because... Um, we needed to record in advance because of Dan's insane schedule this year. Um, so uh, I can say that having seen it, I would have still recommended it. Obviously, it's in my top 10. Um, and for me, a lot of people hated it, Can And in fact, someone wrote a very long um, essay about how much they hated it to the extent that they didn't actually finish watching it. They walked out of it and then wrote an article about how much they hated it, which is possibly in uh, my top five most annoying moments reading that piece um, because how on earth can you critique a film if you haven't got to the end of it? And the end is very significant in this film. Um, and... You know, but even if you only made it 20 minutes in, you should have worked out that it's him actually holding his hands up and saying, I've done some bad things in the past. This is Lars von Trier, not Matt Dillon. Um, and, and this is my film basically about filmmaking and about the sort of narcissism of filmmaking um, and how people end up being used by filmmaking um, in some sort of spheres of it. So I found it very fascinating. Um, 
just from that side of things. But even if you couldn't give a fuck about filmmaking and, and metaphors, it still works as a very entertaining, if very nasty, serial killer movie. So the house that Jack built is number 10 in my top 10 of 2018. Dan, what nice. is your number nine? Sorry to bother you. Oh, nice. Uh, which I really, really liked. It's also on my list, actually. That's this fantastic, is, This is the first crossover we've yeah. ever had. This is another reason not to do top tens, because I could have swapped it out for something else. But anyway. <laughs> do you want to um, swap it out, or do you want me to swap it out for something? I've got some No, 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 no. You don't need to I swap brought, it out well, something. Well, I've, I've, I've got a five. <gasps> this is how we can get around it. This oh. week, listener, we've, we've, we've oh, hit something that can actually make me happy, rather than being grumpy for this whole yeah. thing, because I feel restricted. Every time Dan says one that I've already got, I'm going to swap it out for something else. Yeah. But I'm going to join in the conversation of... Yeah, of, that's absolutely yeah. fine. And I'll do the same. I literally Perfect. have an 11 to 15 for that specific reason. Perfect. And I have them, I've even got them rated at 11 to 15 so I can say which number they would have been in. All useful information before we started recording. But, Dan... We, we did all of this on mic. Tell like. me about... <laughs> Sorry to bother you. Um, Sorry to bother you. Directed by Boots Riley. It's uh, a really interesting film for a bunch of reasons just on the surface and for the first like two two and a half acts it's a pretty straight sort of like race relation comedy it's very kind of social satire yeah social satire it's about uh, a young black man who gets a job at a um, a call center and is uh finds success when it's turned out that he can do a really good white voice his white voice is provided by david cross who um who sort of loops in those lines uh and he quickly rockets up the um up the career ladder while his friends and girlfriend who who work at the same place are starting to unionize and push back against this usurious company who are who are pretty rotten for far more reasons it turns out than just because they um they, they keep their workers subjugated. And then it goes fully off the deep end in the third act in a way that I was just delighted by. It doesn't really, like, it, it leaves some ends a little loose. It doesn't quite, like, tighten itself up at the end in a, in a way that I was fully satisfied with. But it was so bold stylistically. It was so brave in its content that it definitely deserved a place on the list. I really, really enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah, And, and no. some of that imagery really fucking sticks with you. Yeah, no, I feel exactly the same way. I just, it was one of the sort of, I went to the screening a couple of weeks ago. It's the week before the actual cinema release. Um, and they don't normally show things sort of that close to release. I think it was actually only a few days before it was out here. And normally that's a warning sign that they're kind of doing damage limitation in terms of how long people are going to slag it off for. However, it was one of the most thrilling experiences I've had in a cinema this year. I found it so invigorating and exciting, partly because it's so brilliantly acted, the, the cast are amazing, but also because it's so surprising. And, you know, there are two major moments which I, I didn't see coming at all um, that still made sense in the world and within the tone that had been kind of established, which is really hard to do, actually. It's very hard to... to do such a surprising moment out of nowhere and still earn it. Would yeah, you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's so rare. And so, you know, I would advise seeing it as soon as possible before gifts and all the rest of it start to spoil. Oh, absolutely. It. It's full um, on gift bait. Yeah, once it once it does hit VOD, then um, you know, uh, that you're in trouble. So um try and see it at the cinema if you can, or as soon as you can when it's available. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's a great pick. That that's was actually one. my number four. Oh, so wow. I will swap that out. I'm interested to see what you swap it out with. Yes, we, we shall see. Um, 
So next, uh, uh, my number nine uh, is uh, very obvious if you know me. It is Phantom Fred, um, which is essentially a kind of high fashion version of the Love Witch. Um, it's kind of very similar to that. It would make a cool double bill. Um, but it also really reminded me of Mr. James in places, which I was not expecting at all when I went to see it. Um, I don't actually know what I expected really from the marketing. Like it, it seemed to sort of make it look like a, a sort of a bit of a romantic costume drama, basically. And um, yeah, and the poster made it look like a vampire movie. So who who knew what to expect? But it's actually one of the funniest comedies of the year. Um, so many very funny set pieces um and i love that you know daniel day lewis's last role is going to be um essentially a, a very 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 strange comedy with elements of ghost story and um elements of the love witch yeah it's very weird but very very beautifully shot uh, paul thomas anson was the dp as well as directing for the first time um and i also worried about that however he he more than justified the choice uh, it looks beautiful so yeah, if for some reason you have avoided the Phantom Thread because either uh, you thought it looked a bit boring, it's not, or you hate Daniel Day-Lewis, like Dan does, there's nothing I can do about that. But um, <laughs> Can you do a Ridley is. Scott and replace him in the film for me so I can enjoy it? Yes, who would you like me to replace him with? Uh, Steve Zahn. Right, it's done. It's done. <laughs> Will that it'll damage be, the film at all? It'll be with you in the morning. Thanks. So uh, what's your next? Uh, my next one is the first one I have mentioned before. It's The Third Murder. Uh, I can see, because it's in your hand. Yeah, I've got the disc in my hand by Kore Ida uh, Hirokazu. It's a... Uh, Arrow released it. Um, it's an absolutely lovely uh, Japanese courtroom drama that's not really a courtroom drama. It's more of a detective mystery. It's uh, about an, a defence attorney whose client pleads guilty, but who thinks that his client is uh, pleading guilty for... He's, he thinks he's lying. He thinks he's making it up. Um, I recommended it a while back just as a, I watched it this week. I can't... Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, the only reason it's not higher up my list... I, so I did a really complex spreadsheet <laughs> to work out what order my... I basically, I got my, I got my films down to the top 15. And I was like, well, this is not going anywhere. I can't decide between these. I love all these films. Uh, so what I did was I put them into a spreadsheet and I rated them on story, technical quality the visual aesthetic, the sound design, what kind of like wows factor they had and how much fun they were to watch. Okay. Um, and then I averaged all of those and ranked them by order. Right. And I have assigned myself to that order. That is the decision I have made. The, uh, I think Third Murder loses out on wow and fun. Like it's quite, again, it's quite slow and ponderous. It's... Um, it's not um, it's not a particularly a spectacle picture, but the acting is absolutely fantastic, and it's a really really lovely character piece, and it's got yeah it's just got a lot of that really nice Japanese pathos in it that I'm such a fan of. Beautiful, uh, yeah, that is a great one, and it's not on my list, but yeah, definitely uh, back down there. And I'm about to go into a couple that I can guarantee aren't going to be on Dan's list just because I know him. And um, I this next one, I doubt he's even watched. It's my favourite documentary of the year. It's The Eyes of Orson Welles. Oh, no, I haven't seen it. It is a, a wonderful, lovely masterpiece. I watched it with uh, Pat Kelman um, at, uh, at Cannes, introduced by Mark Cousins. And it, it was... 
one of the most profoundly moving experiences I had in a cinema this year. I basically sat there with tears rolling down my face pretty much the whole time. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it takes the form of um, a letter to Orson Welles from Mark Cousins. Um, it's kind of a voiceover with um, lots of interesting imagery. And, um, yeah, there's just something so emotionally powerful about it. And it's it's kind of maybe the best film about the compulsion to make art I've ever seen, both in terms of uh, as an expression of the person who makes the art and in terms of how making the art provides an inner exploration of yourself, yeah. if that makes sense. It's two very different things that sound similar, but, yeah, making stuff does work on those, those two levels, I think. And, um, yeah, it's just very heartfelt in, in, you know, every sense of the word, it, even to the extent that... I would break those um, the, the elements of that word down to he art felt, which is the best description of that film I can muster. So um, please, please, it's on DVD now, The Eyes of Orson Welles, not Blu-ray, but DVD. And it's just such a beautiful film. And even if you can give a fuck about Orson Welles, if you <laughs> do care about art and if you do care about cinema and, you know, and, and a little bit of history, um, but, but mainly art and the act of seeing and the act of making, uh, please do watch that film. I loved it. Damn, what is next? I like that your recommendations cover people who don't give a fuck about Orson Welles and people who don't give a fuck about metaphor. Uh, And people who don't like Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm covering all of my enemies. All of your places. Oh, all your enemies, though. Only today. Oh, I'm changing this list. (laughs) (laughs) Number one slot gets swapped out. (laughs) Uh, Number seven for me is uh, Peter Lou. Oh, nice. The Mike Lee film. I went to see this at the Peckinplex, which is a great place to go and see art films because it's almost dead every time. Mm -hmm. Weirdly, that was the opposite. We got there. There was a queue out the door for... um, There was a queue out the door for the new Potter universe one, whatever it is, the second Magnificent Beasts. And, And we became... I uh, went with Will, who who spoke about uh, art and architecture on the Candyman episode. Yeah, um, yeah. Will and I went together, and he um, and we were convinced that we weren't we were going to be alone in the cinema. Once they held us back, we weren't allowed in, even though the film was due to start because they were just struggling to get all of the people in for this Potter film. Mm. Um, but then when that crowd had died down and they let us in, it was almost completely full. It oh, was brilliant. really and it was a good reverent. Like, normally, if I go to the Peckinplex, I go to see, like, a silly blockbuster, and mm-hmm. I go because I know people are going to shout at the screen, and it's kind of that, like, drunk festival mentality, which is quite nice. Or art house stuff, because it's going to be super quiet. But in this instance, it was just a really nice, reverent audience. It's a, it's a really beautiful film. Uh, it got pushed up my... Uh, uh, got pushed up my algorithm by being uh, one of the highest rating on aesthetic. Mm-hmm. They've done a really beautiful job of making every frame look like... Like, if you pause it... It's a Hogarth painting. I love like that it, shit. It looks like a painting. There's another film on my list that does that as well, not mm. Hogarth, but it's, yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Some of the dialogue's a little heavy-handed. Mike Lee is not one for subtlety, particularly when talking what? about class disputes. <laughs> um, and the, uh, the, the... You don't want subtlety from Lee, though. Like, no, no, that's true. It. Yeah. Um, and yet, when the historically, uh, the historical titular massacre um, occurs, it is astonishingly bloodless. Right. Um, although it does have in it a moment that, if you'd told me that that was going to be uh, in a 12A, 
<laughs> Ten years ago, I would have called you a liar to your face. Right. <laughs> because it has just one absolutely, like, there was a lovely audible gasp from the, like, slightly top end of middle age, predominantly white Peckham audience. Right, right. Watching this film in the, in the Peckham Plex right. when this one thing occurred. Oh, it's a great, it's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I had a kind of similar experience where um, basically... Um, in order to do this list, I went to... Uh, I had an all-dayer at the cinema, basically, to catch up on a few things yeah, yeah. that I'd missed at screenings because I'd been away or, or whatever. And uh, they were uh, Creed II, um, Shoplifters and Widows. Um, I did all three of those. And Creed II, I think this was week of release, but Creed II um, had, I think, four other people in the screen at Pitch House Central. Nice. Widows had one other person, um, me and my friend, a couple of rows in front of me. He was a stranger and it was slightly awkward, but, you know, I feel like we both enjoyed the film. <laughs> and uh, in the sandwiched in the middle was Shoplifters, which was completely sold out. So that just made me feel so, so happy and, and sort of gratified and you know a lot of people on twitter have been shouting about how great shoplifters is and you know they've also been talking about creed 2 they've also been talking about widows but i just love the fact that for shoplifters it stuck and what you might expect to be the the more empty screening was actually the one that was sold out so that was great but we may talk about shoplifters again today so uh, i won't bang on about it too much uh, it's my turn, isn't it? It I've is just, your turn. I've just waffled on. That's all right. Um, it's Cold War is my next choice. Another film that I don't expect to be on Dan's list. Have you seen it? Uh, no. No. It is a... Um, so so basically, you, you may be aware, dear, sweet, beautiful, lovely, festive listener, that earlier this year I made the greatest film of 2018, which was influenced by Tarkovsky. Um, and that means that I can <laughs> spot a Tarkovsky influence film out this year from a, a mile off. Um, and, and this was definitely one. It's basically Ivan's childhood meets A Star Is Born, um, okay. which I have to say I did also quite enjoy. Um, I know that that docks me some cool points, but I did quite like Star Is Born. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, Cold War is the one that's made my list because... It's just stunning. I mean, you talk about how you can pause every frame in, in Peterloo. Yeah. It's very similar with Cold War. Like, the composition is just unbelievable. Um, it's so pretty and so, you know... I mean, it's not an entirely fun watch. It's actually quite a gruelling watch to the extent that, you know, it gets kind of ridiculous in places. It's so um, kind of bleak. But it, it's definitely worth the, the experience. The only sort of downside of Cold War is that really fucking annoyingly, I don't know if it was in a trailer or if someone, you know, provided a clip as part of marketing, but there's one moment in it, which I won't describe because it's best you try and, you know, see it for yourself. But there's one moment in it, which is such a catharsis in the context of the film. And it's a very visual moment and it's very, you know, um, well choreographed. But it, it works best in the context of the film and, and someone basically released it as a clip. So that went round everywhere and people saw it out of context and that annoys me. However, if you have avoided any sort of clips or, or trailers, please do and just watch it because um, it is a really, really beautiful film. And that is Cold War. And that is my... Seven. Seven. Dan, what is your next? My six. six. Uh, my <laughs> six is the first film that I saw this year. 
Whoa. The very, very first film I saw this year, which is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Ah. Which I absolutely loved. Yeah, I mean, it's was released long enough ago that I think most people will probably have seen it. Yeah. It was one of the highest rating for narrative in my <laughs> algorithm. But it's a, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's a fantastic character study about uh, futile attempts at redemption, about revenge, about how um, those all these negative things can destroy you from the inside. Uh, it's chock-a-block with amazing performances. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, go and check it out. It's fantastic. Yeah. Nice one. Cool. Uh, I'm going to also recommend one that probably everyone listening to this has already seen. Um, is this your number six? I think I've probably... Yeah, I think I've probably talked about it on a podcast before as I well. I mentioned three um, before, yeah. Yeah, uh, but, you know, just in case there's one person out there who hasn't seen You Were Never Really Here Yet, it's a very, very uh, well-performed, well-directed... Like, the sound design is just incredible in this film. Um, it's so layered and, and resonant and you know I won't go on about it too much because people have talked about it so much and everyone's put it in their top 10 list this year but one thing I will say is that I interviewed Lynn Ramsey about this for Yahoo Movies UK earlier this year and basically everything that people love about this film was completely intentional um, she talks about it at length um, so all, all the reactions that people have had she very carefully thought about all of them um, this is a director who's in complete control of her craft so I've been very disappointed that, that it hasn't uh, appeared more in uh, the awards um, nominations so far but fingers crossed that she gets nominated for best director um, at the Oscars because she fucking deserves it. It's a, this is a really hard film to make and, and it looks effortless. So, uh, yeah, I loved it so much. You were never really here. Is that in your list, Dan? I didn't like it. Oh, <laughs> God damn it. What didn't you like about uh, it? I thought she didn't really understand the book. <laughs> oh, I, don't, I, I haven't read the book. So. Um, but aside from that, there were just some, like, some just... It, it felt very unsatisfying to me. There were a few bits where I felt like she hadn't necessarily told the story in the best way visually. There were some things that were just generally a little... It felt like they'd maybe I, lost stuff in edit. I, I bet you I know in, what in you're the, talking about, and that was intentional. The uh, the what the fuck is, who who killed who and where... Whoa, whoa, whoa. ...in the, that scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is... Okay, so th- just to jump... Sideways, a hundred miles. Oh, I thought we weren't allowed to jump sideways. Uh, on this I'm not going to talk about specific films. I'm going <laughs> to talk about a general trend that's coming. Right. In. Okay. Cool. Um, I've noticed that it's becoming very popular in, or not very popular, but increasingly popular in in more and more quite mainstream films to break the to cross the line as an as a jar as a deliberate jar for the yeah, audience. It's, to put it, the audience I've seen it ease. so much this year. This year, it's been a really big thing. So, just very quickly for the. The p- presumably like few members of our listenership who don't know what this is, when you're setting up a, uh, a sequence to film, the easiest demonstration of this, obviously it gets more complicated with more characters. If you have two characters talking, you draw an imaginary line between them, and once you have p- positioned your camera on one side of that imaginary line, you cannot cross it unless you do so with an active camera shot in which you show the audience the action of crossing it. The reason for this is when you cut together solo shots, you want one actor to be facing one way and the other actor to be facing the other way consistently so that it makes sense when you edit it together 
So and, and and some directors take this to even sort of greater level. You know that that's a simplified example, yeah. and I understand why you've done that. But if you look at someone like James Cameron, he actually uses the line to sort of make it really fucking clear who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Oh yeah. So in something like Avatar, um, the good guys only attack from one side, and the bad guys only attack from the other side. You know, in front of the line. So. Yeah, it's quite yeah. cool. But that's but, uh, that's not necessarily the rule of the line. That's no, it's a not, stylistic it's choice that in, that it, in, in its essence incorporates the rule of the line. Exactly. And obviously when you've got three people or four people or an ensemble talking, it becomes much, much more complicated. And on a film set, you will occasionally in those more complex scenes have someone saying, hang on a second, what fucking side of the line are we meant to be on? Is this right? Are they facing the right way? So it is something that has to be considered. Like all rules in filmmaking, it can be broken for effect. And increasingly, and this used to be sort of the domain of independent cinema, but increasingly I'm seeing it, and Sam's obviously noticed it also, um, mainstream films are crossing the line all over the place and sometimes it's obvious that they're doing it to deliberately shock the audience to make the audience go wait hang on what the fuck like to make everyone feel a little bit uncomfortable um, which I think is quite a valuable use of it there are other places where I feel like they just don't fucking care anymore and it's, that rule has been ignored and it and it leads to some pretty weird see and, and clearly you choices. feel this way about you're never really here well not, not the line specifically but I feel like there's a difference between breaking rules because it jars people and breaking rules because you just don't care about them and there are some places where no matter what her intention was it didn't have that effect for me and for me it did which is how it kind of led to the conversation because yeah which i'm not diminishing at all for for me like um the kind of the the fractured nature of the the kind of the in the film and i haven't read the book but the the protagonist and 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 the way it kind of plays with perception both for um the perspective of the the protagonist and the audience's perception it kind of it was the closest i've seen to a graphic novel on screen um it felt very much like a comic book um and it's almost like i was watching it like i'd look down the page in a comic book crossover um yeah and so i i really really love that and and like i say like in terms of sound design yeah it's kind of a masterclass, and that's kind of always been one of ramsey's strengths um but anyway we've waffled on about this way too much daniel what is your next uh what i do last three billboards yes so number five one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, number five is a film that Sam took me to see at the cinema. Oh. Uh, and it is Overlord. Ah, so it's not Jurassic World. No, it's not Jurassic World. I'm, I had plenty of time for Jurassic World. Yeah, it was it's fine. Fun. It felt like a William Castle movie with yeah, much, yeah. much more money. Exactly. Um, but no, it's Overlord. Um, I really, really enjoyed Overlord. Yeah, yeah. It was... It's it, its highest score on my algorithm is in the wow and the fun. I knew it categories. would be. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, storyline, it's not scoring great. Technical, it's scoring high. Aesthetic, it's scoring high. Uh, yeah, wow and fun. It's 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 nines for both of those. Yeah, it was it's tremendous fun. Uh, I think I said on Twitter directly after seeing it is as much fun as you can morally have with a film about experiment camps. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And actually, the less you say about the plot, the better. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. It, 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 um, yeah, it, it feels like an 80s movie has like teleported to now by accident and has had to find a home. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really good fun. I can, I can understand that. Yeah, nice one. Okay, speaking of 80s films that have teleported and have found a home in this year, I absolutely loved The Old Man and the Gun. I thought it was beautifully nostalgic, both in terms of theme and style. Yeah, it's just a wonderfully made movie. I felt... 
like I was in safe hands from the opening moments. And you probably, you know, people know about this one already. It's, it's Robert Redford, supposedly his last role, but you never know, he might come back again. This tends to happen when people retire. They suddenly realise that, hold on a minute, my job was also my life and my greatest passion. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'll just keep doing it until I die. But, you know, uh, if he has retired, then he's earned it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say about this. It's quite a mainstream one. People know about it. You know, it's about a, 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 an elderly bank robber and his elderly mates and um, the cop who tries to take them down. Um, and it's it's basically Robert Redford robbing banks with charm instead of um, menace. But it kind of, it really put me in mind of not as good as this and, and certainly not as kind of tonally all, all over the place as this, but it put me in the minds of films that I love, like The Silent Partner uh, and maybe to a certain extent Charlie Varick. It's, it's that kind of thing. They're going for that kind of thing, I think. Obviously not as good because those are masterpieces. Oh, Charlie but, so good. Yeah, um, but I really love The Old Man and the Gun. And, and if you want to feel like you're watching a film from, from the 80s, then do watch this one because... Uh, in terms of the DOP and in terms of the grade, I, I actually quite often hate it when people put like old timey effects on stuff. <laughs> I think it looks shit. But here, they thematic f- cinema. Exactly. But here, they found the perfect balance between uh, presumably shooting on film and, and with old lenses and an old camera and doing something in the grade because it really does look like it has travelled through time to this year. So. Uh, Please watch The Old Man and the Gun. It is good. Dan, next. Uh, number four for me sits very comfortably next to Overlord. Uh, it's Upgrade. Right. Uh, I had an enormous amount of fun with High Upgrade. High fun. Uh, yeah, like Overlord, it's not necessarily the most uh, deep narrative. In fact, I think it might even be a little scanter than Overlord. But it's so visually stylistic and fun. And it's, yeah, it's. I just had an amazingly good time watching it. It's... A fucking crazy action sci-fi horror with some insane violence and some great fighting. <laughs> That's it. Did you like Equilibrium? Stein? I really liked Equilibrium. I could guess. I really, yeah. really liked Equilibrium. Yeah. I think I I haven't seen it since I mean, it came out back when I was at yeah, uni. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think I probably wouldn't like it quite as much right. because there is something about... Uh, being told that there is efficacy in just waving guns about before you use them that doesn't really ring true. Yes. But but the bit where they uh, they throw the magazines down the hall and they're bottom-weighted, so they're mm-hmm. kind of just standing up on the floor like weebles, mm-hmm. and he empties his guns and then drops the mags out and dives forwards and slams the magazines into the gun reminded me of the second... Uh, God of Gamblers. Yeah. Yeah, the second uh, Return of God of Gamblers in the opening gunfight in Return of God of Gamblers when Chaoyon Fat's got his two like Berettas or whatever it is in the hallway and he he fire, he, he ends and runs out of ammo and he nods to his compatriot who's hiding in an alcove halfway down the corridor. He ejects the the gun the the mags from his guns. He dives woo style into the corridor, guns out. His friend throws the magazines into the air. Chaoyon Fat is able to bring the bring the guns down onto those magazines in midair, close the breaches, and have go, both guns empty, much to the detriment of various baddies in the in the hallway mm. before he hits the floor again. And I remember seeing that early teens, I guess, and just being so delighted. And um, and when Equilibrium came out, I thought, oh, we're going to start doing this in the West. That's really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I. Um... Plus, 1984 is a good thing to rip off. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. No, um, this is probably going to be my equivalent to you're never really here um, in that I didn't like Upgrade. That's no, fair enough. For me, the nicest thing I can say about it is that it reminded me to a certain extent, and this is actually a higher compliment for what I think it is, but uh, it reminded me of a kind of future shock story yeah, from uh, 2000 AD. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, which, yeah, yeah. which is actually a compliment. But just not as good. Um, no, th- that's the thing. It's not about the narrative. And yeah. actually, when you get to the end, if, yeah, you, if, exactly. you, if you haven't watched it in the right atmosphere, yeah. and you're not all like adrenaline up and excited about what you've just seen, then it could be a real fucking damn squib. Exactly. Um, yeah. I was disappointed in the ending, and I just thought some of it was a bit cheesy, and some of the performances were very sort of... Uh, it's, yeah. The, Paul look, W.S. I Anderson. was slightly <laughs> surprised it got as high in my list as it did. Yeah, yeah, but no, like I, I said, I did it via an algorithm, and I, I entered every number... Accordingly, um, yeah, it, it got a six out of story, which is the lowest rating I gave <laughs> any of these films yeah, okay. for story. So, you know, but it got uh, it got a nine for wow and a nine for fun. So, All yeah. Good. And there are no wrong answers when it comes to people's favourite films of the year, um, mostly. Okay. <laughs> Unless it's not from this year, or it's five films, or, yeah, there's, there's exceptions. Or it's shit. <laughs> Um, objectively <laughs> shit so yeah my next one would have been sorry to bother you so I've now got a very quick decision to make I am going to go for uh, yeah there are a lot of contenders but I think I'm going to go for Prayer Before Dawn oh nice now that kind of split a lot of people I know a lot of people that really don't like this one but again I don't know why I kind of love sound design so much this year but both the kind of naturalistic shooting style of that film and the sound design um, combined to create one of the most immersive experiences I've had this year um, at cinema. I kind of felt like I was shoulder to shoulder with Joe Cole at certain points. Like <laughs> it's it's an incredibly immer- it's almost like VR. Like seriously, like it so takes you into that world. And again, not too obscure. Um, people probably know about it. It's about a, a, a drug dealer from the UK who ends up uh, going to prison in Thailand. Um, he actually goes to ends up in two of the most notorious prisons in Thailand and has to essentially survive. And a lot of the dialogue they don't subtitle much, so you're basically in there with the character. Uh, it's based on a true story as well, actually. But yeah, you're kind of trying to work out what everyone means and, you know, how aggressive they are in that moment. There's some incredibly tense uh, sequences in the film, but I found it incredibly powerful, very cathartic. Yeah, just a very moving film, uh, very well made. Um, Joe Cole won the Biffa this year for Best Actor. And, you know, the Biffers don't always make the correct decision, um, as we know, because Dan doesn't have one yet. Uh, <laughs> yet, yet. I'll never have one because I'm too edgy. But, um, yeah. Too mainstream, sir. Too... No! <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I mean, yes. I am very mainstream. Um, please buy Frankenstein's Creature when it's available on DVD. Uh, more details on that to come later. But, yes. Yeah, Prayer Before Dawn, which is now... Wow, yeah, now it's my fourth favourite film of the year. <laughs> That's the thing. These go fast. Dan, what, what, what are we waiting for? Yeah, uh, I'm next for me in at number three is Ino Yashiki. It is uh, played at Mayhem this year. It's uh, it, Hopefully it'll be finding a, a sort of a, a wider release in the UK in 2019. It is one of an ongoing trend of... Uh, of the the Marvel sort of led superhero movie wooing big budget uh, 
superhero movies from foreign territories. Um, this is a Japanese one. It's absolutely blinding. It's hands down my favourite superhero movie of the year. It's based on, an, uh, on a manga. It descends into sort of cartoonish silliness once in the whole film. There's one moment, especially... It's, it's basically when all the superhero action gets like full throttle. There's one bit that's just a little bit, like takes you out of it. But it had me had me like welling up in the first 10 minutes. It has character like work that Marvel wishes they had. It's dark like DC wishes they could handle. And it's just terrific fun. It's sort of an origin story, but it doesn't really bother with that at all. A, uh, a family man, Japanese family man, who's old enough that his daughter lies and says he's her grandfather when people see him. His son doesn't uh, confide in him, his daughter doesn't respect him and his wife doesn't respect him he's having a pretty lousy time of life uh, he's not being treated particularly well at work and then through a series of coincidences he and a stranger are both uh, exposed to a bright light and a sort of explosion in a park, no other real influence, no, no real explanation as to what's happened um, is dealt with but it's about how the two of them deal very differently with the same powers going forwards and it's a genuinely fantastic superhero movie. It's really, really good. Right. I, I like the sound of this, and who knows, you know, maybe it'll be on my list next year. This, <laughs> the good thing about this this uh, episode is that not only do you get the best films of this year, you get a preview of what's going to come out next year. Um, but I've just had an idea about how we could do next year's podcast oh, that on. I'm going to run by you on air. Do you want to do it now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Save some time. Next year, Yeah. you start. Right. And my challenge, because mm. honestly, I find it so fucking boring doing a normal t- top 10. Right? <laughs> Next year, yeah. you start, and I have to yeah. come up with a film that is one of my best of the year that in some way relates thematically or narratively. So I'll do a linear top 10. Yes. But you'll do a referential top 10. Exactly. Like a based off on the, Off the back off of, of yours. So you'll have your entire list written down. You're like 30 written down, 40 written down, 50 written down. 50 more like, yeah. And then every time I say a film, you have to say, oh, well, in that case. Because then people can kind of have double bills as well, like of yeah, the best of the year. Right. Idea. This is what we're going to do next year, folks. So I'll, do you want to go? Do you want to start again? I'll do it. Yeah, this let's year? do it. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll be much less bitter next year. I promise. Well, I don't promise. Who knows? But let's not talk about bitterness because my next film is essentially uh, an Ozu film um, that's been corrupted by the modern world. Um, it is Shoplifters, and uh, this was a, a Dan contender. Um, but he hasn't actually had a chance to see it. Yeah, no. Yet. So basically, I was when I was doing my sweep week and just checking everything and 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 putting things. I I figured that this was a good chance that Sam would choose this one because just from the from what I know about it, it it's very much up both of our streets. Mm. And I ended up choosing not to watch it yet, just because I didn't want to double up. Yeah, yeah. So I figured. So I so I phoned Sam or I messaged Sam and I said, "Is this on your list?" He said, "Yes." So I I shunted it from my to watch pile. Uh, so I'll probably watch it early next week. Yeah, and and yeah, please do. I'm gonna. Me. I know I'm gonna love it. Yeah, let me know what you think. But yeah, I, I don't want to say too much about it plot wise because it's another one that's actually quite surprising. And even that's maybe a spoiler. I don't know. I don't know how to do this anymore. But um, <laughs> but just put it this way: it is fucking beautiful. It's everything you've heard about it. Kind of yeah, darker in places than I was expecting, but. It's just stayed with me ever since I, I went to see it. Like certain scenes and images from it, um, and characters, um, 
yeah, I, I think Ozu movie, Corrupted by the Modern World, is probably the best way I can say it obliquely. Uh, but when you watch it, hopefully you'll know what I mean. Um, Shoplifters, fucking masterpiece. And my third favourite film Number of three. 2018. Dan, what is next? Uh, so next is, I, I promised you right at the beginning of this podcast, I promised you another movie where every shot would look like a painting. No, oh. And this is that one. I can't believe you've put Frankenstein's Creature so high on your list, Dan. Thank you. I, really I, I told it. you I've changed my number one. <laughs> you, you crossed me. You called me an enemy. We're at war now. It's uh, Zama. Oh, yeah, Zama's is great. Two. Yeah, yeah, that was a contender for me, actually. Um, yeah, it's an absolute beauty of a film. And, uh, and again, great. A, yeah. a, quite a slow, lyrical film. Uh, if you want some fun, read the two-star reviews on IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> Those people don't like metaphor. <laughs> yes, two stars are always the best. Um, it's an absolute beauty. It's. Uh, I will be completely honest with you, I mostly watched it because I saw a still with some pretty fucking great hats in it. <laughs> I was like, those are some good hats. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. It seems like this year's been a big year for period films doing well, like good period cinema. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree with that. And this is, yeah, this is fantastic. It's not an era of history I'm particularly familiar with. This is the Spanish colonialist era. Uh, and it is, it's a sort of a treatise on frustration. And uh, it's about a, a man who desperately wants to leave the situation he's in and keeps on trying to find a way of leaving it. And his situation just keeps getting worse for, because of his endeavours. It's depressing and great. I loved it. Yeah, it's it's kind of yeah, it's a it's kind of a a, a good Brexit movie um, in a way, <laughs> uh, just like another one on my list. He sort of gets oh I I, I figured out your number two or one. Yeah, I mean <laughs> I one. everybody you knows said, you said it was your number one a few times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's a really I mean it is gorgeous. I, it's the only one that got a ten on sound mm. on my algorithm. The sound design on it is just fucking incredible yeah, it's massive. so beautiful yeah. but also it's like we were talking about like breaking the rules and fractured stuff to to like make an audience feel on edge there is there's um there's some sound design in it that genuinely makes you feel a little bit uneasy which is mm. really nice mm. some, some drone work yeah that's really good um but then also it kind of it feels a bit like a, a list of selects. Like it doesn't, the scenes don't necessarily follow on from one another. And at one point in the film, about two thirds of the way through, there's a massive time jump as well that isn't bothered announced. Like, they, you know, he's got a different hat on, he's got a longer beard, but <laughs> otherwise they don't bother like telling you how long it's been. It's just, yeah, it's just about like sadness and boredom and dissatisfaction and it's great do you know what i'm going to talk about a trend now sound of course sound design has been a big trend this oh, year yeah. because um even in films that aren't necessarily on our list i mean who knows i mean i'm sure a quiet place is now number one on dan's list after he's uh... oh yes <laughs> but you know uh, quiet place and even hereditary used the the kind of background drone noise yeah. um, in a kind of interesting way even though when i watched it at the cinema i did think that we were getting noise leak from a different screen and I realized, oh, no, actually they're just trying to freak us out but yeah that that's been one trend I, i'd like to mention one other trend which is a slightly weird trend but some other films that i love this year that didn't make the list oh yeah that are aren't in gonna, the top 10 they're not alternatives say them? yeah i'm gonna oh, say them shocking. because i know that you don't have that's fine. I, I know that you don't have my top two in your top 10 yeah uh, i loved the rider i loved lean on pete and i love thoroughbreds and I also love Frankenstein's Creature, but that's by the by. But they all featured horses. Horses were kind of big 
weird well everyone knew trend. red dead 2 was going to be a big deal so get your whole shit in early this is it exactly and talking of sound and red dead i when i first <laughs> when i first started playing red and dead, horses and horses but mostly sound uh when i first started playing red dead i thought there was a fly in the room for ages Aww. and i'd pause the computer game to to like locate it Oh, he's obviously landed. Oh, the cheeky shit. No, it's just my... It's almost as if he knows when I'm playing. My character needed a bath. (laughs) Amazing, amazing. Right, whose turn is it? Is it mine? You just did Zama. I did Zama, so yeah, you need to do your number two. So, in the most uh, unsurprising news uh, to anyone who listens to this podcast, my number two, though it could have been my number one, and, you know, if, if... this was a different universe and I would be allowed to do parallel number ones. But anyway, uh, number two is Mandy, The Magnificent Mandy, a film that Dan does not like, but I do love. Um, I have been obsessed with it. I've gone on about it so much. Um, I can hear the listeners start to cringe because they don't want to hear any more about this film that I've gone on about so much. So I'm going to shut up because I've said everything I need to say about this film. Mandy, my number two of the year. And if you don't like it, I don't like you. Dan, what is your next film? Uh, number one for me is a little film I think you probably haven't heard of uh, called Crowhurst. <laughs> uh, I thought it was really good. Uh, that's it. We're not talking about it. Give, give <laughs> <you> your one. <laughs> well, my favourite of the year was Game Night because it got a oh, nine for that, fun. and it, it had got, that dog in it. It got that's a nine for fun. It got an eight for dogs. Can and... we do a top ten dogs in films of the year? Impromptu. No, uh, so my number one was my number one. I knew it was going to be on the list. I didn't know it was going to be number one, but the algorithm was broken, and number one is Climax. Uh-huh. Um, I, yeah, I absolutely loved it. It's the only one. It got four nines <laughs> on my list. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming many of you will have seen it now. Um, it's, it's a delight. That's a loose term. Um, I think it's, it's... I'd say it's... And I know I got a lot of shit from Sam for saying that I thought City of the Living Dead was one of... Uh, <laughs> one of Fulci's less what the fuck movies. Uh, I think Climax is one of Noah's more accessible films. It obviously things go a little bit south as the film progresses, but it's just a tremendously fun visual spectacle with some nice genre darkness in it and a fucking great soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. There you go. Uh, Dan there earning his arrow wage. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I genuinely thought about swapping Zama and Climax so that I didn't look like a sycophant. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. It's uh, Yeah, it, it didn't make my list, but it's a good film. Okay, so my number one, as Dan has already said, is Crowhurst. Again, I've gone on about it so much, but, you know, uh, what can I say? Beautifully acted, beautifully shot, very surreal, very psychedelic. Um, I love films that... that portray the inner psyche of the character through various film techniques this does it we're very sad to lose uh, Nicholas Rogue this year and, and Rumley has been compared to him and it, it definitely applies in terms of this film in terms of you know the way he uses time and uh, anyway I will not go on about it anymore I've talked about it so much yeah, I, I loved Crowhurst. And I also loved other films that didn't get a mention. Dan, well, yeah, what films did. did you love that didn't get a mention? Um, I mean, probably I'd have to go with Lords of Chaos, In Fabric, Ravers. <laughs> Ravers? <laughs> yeah, just everything. You know, I feel there's a common thread between these films, and they're all exceptionally good. I mean, if you go onto IMDb, you'll probably be able to work it out. Uh, Await further instructions. Another fantastic yeah, one. Yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah, I was surprised you didn't mention that first. I just didn't have my list up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- uh, 
it's more seriously. Yes. The ones that didn't Well, those are all good it. films. Apart yeah, no, from they are genuinely good films, and I think that they actually would have placed quite highly had we not self imposed our rule about not tooting our own horns quite so much. Exactly. Uh, Night Comes for Us. Yeah. Came in at number 11. Oh, um, I was surprised that wasn't on your list. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which I really, really liked. Um, Calibre, mm-hmm. number 12. Uh, the Clovich Killer, which Sam and I watched together, mm-hmm. uh, came in at number 13. Uh, Dark Figure of Crime, mm-hmm. Chinese crime, uh, like sort of murder mystery, courtroom, prison, police, procedural, uh, true story. Suffers a little bit from true storyitis, which is, I think, why I didn't get further up the list, but um, genuinely a little chilling. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the better true story adaptations I've seen in a long time. Um, and I'm Not a Witch as well. Oh, okay. uh, came in at number 15. So yeah, nice. I really like, just, it was a good year. It yeah, a really it's been year. a really good year. I've, I've, some of my contenders were, I, I loved In the Fade. Uh, I don't know if you've caught that seen one it. yet. Not, not but, seen it yet. Um, yeah, uh, really, really. Diane Kruger won, uh, I think, Best Actress at Cannes for it. And it would actually be a much lesser film without her in it. Uh, mm. It's just one of those films where Shoot. it's all about the performance. I also loved, though, you know, I don't feel like it's a film necessarily for this podcast. Um, you, you don't need us to tell you about Mission Impossible Fallouts, but I fucking loved it. It's some of the most fun I've had at the cinema. Yeah, Lean on Pete, Leave No Trace, Lucky was well, great. Leave, leave, leave No Trace was fantastic. Yeah, just beautiful. Um, yeah, I enjoyed Assassination Nation. Um, yeah, that was really, really good. Pie Wacket came out on DVD, not at the cinema this year. Um, didn't get a cinematic run. I when really did it, is that. Assassination Nation out yet, or is that next year now? That's out, yeah, yeah. It's out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely worth a look. Yeah. yeah. Really like um, and I also liked First Man, even though a lot of people hated it. I thought it was very good. So, <laughs> you know, a boring one to pick for this podcast. But um, yeah, overall, I'd say another fucking great year. Yeah, really good year. Really good year. Uh, and so now we have a special treat for you in a section we like to call Extra Features. Extra Features. Extra Features. Extra Features. Extra Features. Now, I'm not going to say this is contractual. <laughs> this is entirely by our own choice. Yeah, we suggested this. We suggested this after having it suggested to us. Um, well, loosely suggested to us. Dan is Dan is the goody and I am the baddie. <laughs> That's how this podcast works. But we Sam's are, wearing black. I'm wearing white. Oh my god, it's so true. <laughs> and we're both drunk. Well, I am anyway. So yes, uh, the podcast has decided that as we are run collective unit. by our, our wonderful overlords at Arrow, we're also going to recommend our favourite Arrow releases. Asterisk, not overlords in the sense of Nazi experimentation camp overlords. <laughs> no, but in the good, sense... Good, overlords. In the sense that they pay for part of our rent sometimes and we like to do what they tell us. So, Dan, we have selected... Uh, a top five of the releases by Arrow We've done video. five, have we? This year. We've done five. I mean, between us, we've done five. <laughs> oh, but I, so I thought between us, we've done six. I thought you were saying between us, we've done ten. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so we're going to take... I mean, I do actually have five, but I, uh, I, I like the other one. I'd done it to a top three in case we had any, in case we had any double ups. Well, in that case, I've done five and I'm going to just run through them all now. Um, they are Candyman, 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 Candyman. Nice. And that's it for me for the rest of this podcast because I am sat directly <laughs> opposite... Amira. Amira. Uh, Dan, what is your um, favourite Arrow video release so on Are we Blu-ray? doing favourite or are we doing in order, like reverse order? Favourite. Oh, top five, bottom uh, five to one. Uh, Why endless, is this so complicated? Okay, so <laughs> in number three, it's Endless. 
God knows, I don't think it's very often that a distribution label go above and beyond and license an entire other film as an extra feature and when, it's, such when it's not a, being done as a... And such a, like a logical additional film and as well. And a great film. And a great film. I yeah. actually personally prefer um, Yeah, I, I think there is something really quite special about Resolution. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, Endless. Um, uh, Deadbeat at Dawn, the Jim Van Bebber. Yeah. Um, edition, just a fantastic collection. Really nice to see such a scummy film get such a precious release. Um, if you haven't seen it, it was a, a, a teen favourite of mine. Yeah, like late teens, I guess. Yeah. Just yeah, just a crazy independent, like super low budget bloodlet. Mm. This this was also on my list. Um, I believe I wrote about it for Total Film in the year of our Lord two thousand and seven where I listed the most ridiculous fight scenes of all time. Oh, yeah, that's and definitely a strong contender yeah, for that. It's fucking <laughs> it's great. Just and, and just because it was also on my list, so just to back up what Dan's saying, um, it's one of the best selection of extras Arrow have done this year. Like, they went above and beyond. Yeah, just um, amazing. And I have had no encounters with Jim Van Beber in my life, and I've heard nothing about what he's like as a person. But just through watching, I've got his some cinema, stories for you. Yeah, yeah. Just from watching his his movies, I wonder <sighs> how easy it was to deal with him to collect those. That is all. <laughs> that is all just based on my own supposition. Um, and but I'm just very glad that he helped Arrow. The Arrow um, went through all that to get there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad that, it, that this disc exists because like you say, it's one of these yeah. films that could have been very easily lost. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping that Arrow uh, can get Charlie's family. Yeah. That would be an amazing get. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was, was it ended up being released as the Manson family. I have an early VHS version of it mm. called Charlie's family, which is one of the few VHSs I've kept hold of mm. from I think when Jim was just selling them himself. Mm-hmm. It's really worth getting hold of if you can find it like you know a VHS or something but hopefully you won't need to look too hard because Arrow will pick it up in the future and if we're doing requests Devilland come on Arrow Devil oh my Land. god there's a fucking um, documentary about I've not seen it yet Dave about, about Dave the Rock Nelson so uh, Channel 4 on their like UK TV channel for our international listeners on their like video on demand channel oh, fuck whatever it's called uh, 4OD used to be called now it's called More 4 is it Whatever. Whatever it is. So they've partnered with Vice and Vice are doing some online <gasps> content for them. And Vice are doing uh, like weird filmmaker specials. Oh my God. And, and they've done one on Dave the Rock Nelson, which oh. I've not watched yet, but um, We'll have to yeah. watch that together at some point. Well, but. I mean maybe maybe tonight, because we were going to watch a feature together and you don't have time, but it's only half an hour long. Maybe that's the Oh yeah, that's let's what do we that. Instead. That sounds great. Oh guys, a little peek behind the curtain there. <laughs> we're gonna go and watch a uh, and then we'll have to re record this so that we can do just our top five Dave Thornton Nelson films. Oh my god, yes, please. Um, and and uh, the, did you have another one? Uh, yeah, Horrors of the Mouthful Men. Oh, that was on my list as well. God damn, damn it. it. Sorry, Sam. This was a, this was a mistake. But, um, <laughs> no, I, uh, for mine, uh, there's a joint third, only because it's in two volumes. I'm not I'm breaking the rules. But uh, <laughs> the uh, Seiyu and Suzuki box set. Oh, lovely. Third, yeah. Um, volume one and volume two. Beautiful cover. By Graham Humphreys, you know, very uh, intelligent extras. Uh, so at number two is Carrie, um, that came out this year. Yeah, and, yeah, I think it did. Um, you know, kind of an obvious film, and we've obviously done a whole podcast about it, but that's also one of my favourite podcasts of the year. It's a really beautiful set as well. Yeah, lovely slipcoats. Yeah, beautiful lovely. art and, and, and all the rest. So um, go back and listen to our Carrie episode if you haven't already, and then go and buy that one. Obviously, I've, I've kind of alluded to, to it subtly um, leading into this. My one of the year was Candyman in terms of Arrow. 
Just yeah, it was it was a great release. Just stunning, and you know we we went into it quite recently in the episode, but yeah, the extras are, are worth buying the disc for. Yeah, um, really, really good. Just so good. So yeah, a very good year for Arrow Studio, and I'm only joking about us being forced to do that, even though we were. Dan, what does 2019 hold for you? Uh, well, um, early in 2019, uh, I'm doing a podcast with my friend Sam uh, yeah. about the baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit, maybe I should start being positive so the baby, again. <laughs> the, the baby was a um, uh, was a, an almost for my list of the year. It's got some pretty great interviews and stuff on it. Uh, it's not the not the heaviest disc as far as content goes uh, that I've ever released, but what they've got is really, really good. Uh, and if you're in the market to experiment with something a little bit odd um, I'd say that pick it up in the sale before we do the next episode yeah uh, which we've actually already recorded I think it's in a sale at the moment yeah it's yeah, in yeah. a sale at the moment yeah so it's worth checking out and then my my other also round was Pajama Girl case yellow Pajama Girl case oh, okay. uh, which is one of my favourite weirder giallos um, so yeah we have to actually do some of these uh, well, yeah, I, think I, think, we should do I think we should do all of these we should definitely do, do Deadbeat De- and Horrors do Deadbeat, of... Malformed Man yeah. Pajama Girl yeah I mean, they're all easy runs. They're yeah. all shoo-ins, I think. Yeah, for sure. So there you go, a little preview of what we're going to yeah. do. Um, as, as far as what I'm actually doing next year, uh, I'm currently looking like I might be going down to Portugal uh, to fit in a film for a, a director I'm very excited to be working with. If that comes off, I will share who he is, but I'm not going to jinx it by saying who that is yet. Mm. Um, but it's someone I'm very, very excited to be... Um, to be partnering with if that goes ahead uh, and then uh, kindred and then spirits to, yes I've, I've been described as kindred spirits with him by two people now one of whom was sam and one of whom is the producer of the movie so that's quite exciting yeah, fingers crossed that happens um, and then and then off to canada for reasons uh, delayed reasons i will go into at some point in the future yeah yeah so yeah pretty exciting yeah for you yeah shaping up um for me i have got so a lot of people have asked me about this possibly because i've banged on about it so much in the on the podcast before but Frankenstein's Creature is indeed getting a release it's going to get uh, a, a limited exclusive collector's run uh, to, for, uh, through Hex Media um, so if you go to www.hexmedia.tv um, we're Christmas Eve now we're recording this early so it's not actually up there yet I don't know if it'll be up there on Christmas Eve, but it probably will. Who knows? Um, but I'll let you know when you can when you can actually get it. But um, yeah, tweet tweet it, Sam. I will tweet it, and I'll probably do it as my pinned tweet. But um, rest assured, Frankenstein's creature is going to get a release. Um, we're going to do a run of 200 DVDs uh, because we filmed it on the 200th anniversary uh, of the release of the original book. So they're going to be highly collectible, but there's some really cool extras on there, including a commentary by Dan and I, um, which was very fun to record. It was really fun. So yeah, uh, Frankenstein's Creature will have a life next year and I will keep you informed. Um, Other than that, the current plan, I still can't believe this is going to happen, but uh, there is a chance i'll be filming the my second film in february um so yeah there there are sort of plans in place uh working with a cool producer but uh as always in the film business i will believe it when i'm on set yeah it's never happening until you've paid the tax on it exactly so um but yeah all around it, it looks like a good year and 
Please, dear precious sweet listener, let us know about your year, whether it's the films you're looking yeah. forward to or what you've got planned movie-wise, what festivals, whatever it is. Um, drop us uh, an email at Dan. Uh, at 13fingerfx. No, that is your Twitter address. That's what I meant. Drop us an email oh, at... I'm not giving them my email. <laughs> no, do you remember? We have an arrow email. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm winding you up. Um, I don't remember it. <laughs> and that's why he was winding me up. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't remember I didn't remember it until that <laughs> happened. It's arrow films at arrow at arrow forward slash arrow. Basically, we've mentioned it before. It's out there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up, Sam. Vamp. Yes. Okay. So, happy Christmas to you. Um, I hope that you are nestled in the bosom of Father Christmas. This is why I shouldn't ever vamp. Um, Father Christmas doesn't have a bosom. Why not? It's Arrow Video Podcast at arrowfilms.co.uk. So, yeah, do send us an email. And if you have sent us an email um, then recently, then keep an ear out for the baby episode because we do actually read an email out. We on do, that don't one. we? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, do send us emails. We do like them. And yeah, we don't, we, do... we don't talk about the, the email address enough. But no. We should um, put it in the description to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. We probably we should. should right. That what I is think. Is your Twitter so is... people can find out about Frankenstein's creatures? Oh, uh, yeah. Yes, uh, my Twitter is at Sam Ashurst, S-A-M-A-S-H-U-R-S-T. And I promise that if you want to complain to me about something I've said on this episode, I won't really think you're a moron and, and I would never publicly say that. Um, <laughs> except except like, earlier. In a general way. In a jokey... On, a, on an end of year special. In a jokey way that I totally don't mean. Presumably I, highest rated episodes. I literally appreciate, I appreciate any attention I get, let's face it. So... Uh, <laughs> if it's negative but Dan what is your Twitter address uh, my Twitter address is at 13 finger FX um, that's 13 the numbers one three finger F-I-N-G-E-R FX Foxtrot X-Ray I was just thinking you know the phonetic alphabet Foxtrot mm-hmm. X-Ray we should do a director based phonetic alphabet Okay. We should invent one yeah. so that when people on genre podcasts, this is our legacy now, by the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> when people I, well, have, to fully sp- aware. have to spell something out, mm-hmm. they can say like F for, I don't know, Frank Hanalotta, Freddie Francis, whatever, you know, and, and we'll do a whole alphabet. All right. Well, we'll stay I'll work tuned. work on that for next time. Not for the baby next time because we've already recorded that one, but for the one after the baby. Yeah, we'll try and have what, that done. Whatever that ends up being. Possibly Man Man. We don't know. Is saying just 26 directors in alphabetical order good podcasting? Uh, I feel like maybe I'm making a rod for our listeners back. I, I, I feel that that's probably going to be one of Dan's special new extra episodes that. Um, <laughs> that he does do on my own. <laughs> yeah, that he does on his own. You've been asking for it to go <laughs> weekly, guys. <laughs> So get ready for... <laughs> for something you don't want. <laughs> for a short, boring thing every other week. Uh, and on that uh, on that note, I'm going to say thank you so much for listening. Thank and you, guys. we promise to be more professional next year. Happy New Year, guys. Thank you so much. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Bye.